All right. Let's now talk about another kind of state called the Word of God. Um, this morning, I want to bring a word to you called uh, identity wars. We just got identity there, but identity wars. And <clears throat> I want to come in time of bringing this word. So if you're taking some notes this morning, just have that ready to take some notes. Let's come into a time of prayer. I'm going to ask everyone just to close their eyes, just to bring that focus in. Father, I declare, Lord, that you're here with us. And I thank you, Lord, for your anointing upon the word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you're an amazing God and you're faithful. And I pray for your anointing upon this word. I pray for every ear that's positioned to hear it. Lord, that they'd be blessed. I thank you, Lord, for your word to bring an impartation this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Well, I wanted to start off with this theme called Identity Wars. I want to let you know that part of my message today is about identity theft. When we think about someone trying to rob something from us, we usually go into war zone. We go into battle. And interesting, when I was at university, my first year at university, when before I started to choose studying business, I was actually studying law. And I was living with some flatmates. And I had one flatmate who was very, very dodgy. And I kind of, you know, just thought, oh, well, you know, we'll just, you know, believe the best and he's okay, he'll be fine. And uh, I found out, <clears throat> he, he, he moved out and where I had my, because I was studying law, I needed some study space. So I, I had this area where I had my desk, but it wasn't like a private in my private room. It was actually kind of a, uh, a section that was an extension of the house and I had my desk and I had my filing cabinet. And uh, so other people who flatmated, they could have gone in that area. But, you know, obviously I said, look, don't go in there. And I was at lectures and out, out of the house quite often. So anyway, this guy that was living with us, I thought it was a bit on the dodgy side. He eventually moved out. Nothing really happened straight away. And, uh, but then I get this <coughs> phone call from Telstra. And I get this phone call from Telstra saying, is this Bradford Power? And I said, yes, this is Bradford Power. And they said, well, <clears throat> we need to speak to you urgently because you have a phone bill over $1,200 that's been overdue for more than three months. And if you don't pay it, we're going to have to do the whole debt consult, get debt collection thing on you. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm not with Telstra, I'm with Optus. And they said, is this Bradford Power? Yes. And do you live at blah, blah, blah address? Yes. And were you born on such and such a date? Yes. Well... You signed a contract about six months ago and you have over a $1,200 phone bill and you need to pay it. It's in your name and you need to pay it. Who thinks I was just sitting there going, what is going on here? Okay. Cut a long story short, I did some research and I found out that this guy who used to be my flatmate a couple of months ago had gone into my filing cabinet. He'd taken my, copied my birth certificate and got it photocopied. He'd stolen my wallet, my, not my wallet, taken my driver's license out of my wallet somehow when I was asleep. He went and photocopied that. He walked into Centrelink. He handed them over. He said, I'm Bradford Power and I've lost my license. I need a new license. So he actually got a license in my name with his photo on it. There were also speeding fines. There were other things that he went and bought. Um, he got, I don't know how he did it, but he got some other, you know, store credit. So he was able to buy furniture in my name. So it was something like just under uh, $10,000 worth of things in my name that people were chasing me for. So I had to go to, uh, I had to go to the police. I had to, uh, I had to, I have this little scar that's on my face from an accident when I was about five. And so I had to go in and get my license renewed and they had to put a security check on there. So if, any, if anyone uh, through public transport or anything needed a verification from me, they had to, an alarm would flash up on the screen and they had to double check. Now, good news now is that can't happen because it's a lot, it's a lot tighter, okay, with how they do things. But back then it was a lot easier to do. And so my identity got stolen from someone and uh, I had a lot of money. Good news is I didn't have to pay any of that back. I was able to prove that the guy... Uh, stole my identity. And so identity theft actually is something that's even more prominent right now on online. And so how am I bringing this theme into is that sometimes spiritually you've got to understand that the enemy or the devil, whatever you want to call him, is out to steal your identity. 
He's out to steal your identity and he wants to actually steal your identity so that he can bring confusion into your life. He can halt momentum and he can inhibit you to move forward in life. And so it's important that we understand, one, that that's the agenda that he has. So we've got to be discerning of it. We've got to be aware of it. But also we've got to understand how do we fight against that and how do we actually counteract that so our identity continues to get strong. Because the reason why the devil wants to steal your identity and he wants to hinder it is because when you have a very clear, strong understanding about who you are in Christ, it does the opposite things that he's wanting to create. It actually it brings momentum. It helps you to move forward. It helps to bring fruitfulness in life. Can I att- say to this to you? The number one thing I would attribute to fruitfulness that I've seen in my own life and other people's lives in terms of them being Christian, I'm talking about fruitfulness in terms of the favor of God, the blessing of God, God moving upon their life, has been linked back to their ability to shape and understand their identity with Christ, their ability to get past their thinking, uh, restrictions around what they thought were the past, all the things that happened in the past. I was even having a a really fascinating conversation with Pastor Dallas earlier, uh, late last week, about how important it is in life to actually get out of survival mode as a Christian and to break through into building mode. Uh, a lot of Christians stay in just survival mode. When you first come into the things of God, you are in survival mode. You're trying to literally tear off the curses. You're literally trying to tear off the past. You're trying to break off the things that have uh, snared you. Uh, even what are sinful habits, uh, thinking about yourself, uh, p- labels that people have put on you, the circumstances that you've gone through in living in a life without Christ. And it is about trying to get out of that and coming into a place of, of victory. But there is a season of just surviving and trying to lock this in and trying to appropriate who am I now and, and, and what don't I believe about myself and what do I believe about myself and should I continue to believe that or does God say something different and I need to stop doing that and start doing this. And it becomes a bit of treading water and you're trying to actually appropriate this whole thing called Christianity and, and this thing called uh, cutting off curses and coming into blessing. And it's like, you know, it's tough work. It's like, uh, uh, uh. and eventually though, what God does is he wants to solidify your identity so that you can actually start to now step into a season where it's less of the hindrance and it's more of the momentum. When you're actually treading a lot of water, it's really about you're still trying to to kind of wrestle with uh, the things that have always held you back. Now, even if you're in a place of momentum and your identity is secure, because you're human, you still need Christ. We're not perfect. And so there'll be times where there'll be what I call them cobwebs. In my life, sometimes I have to deal with the cobwebs that try and still entangle my thought. And I have to, again, uh, cut those things off and continue to set myself free with Jesus. And so it's important that we understand that the enemy is out to steal your identity. And uh, I want to come into a word today. And partly I want to talk about identity theft prevention and protection. And I want to look at the example of Jesus himself. The enemy actually tried to steal the identity of Jesus. I want to see how he responds, and then I want to look at how that appropriates to our world. And so today, if if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 4. 21 to 4, 21 to 41. We're not going to read all of that, but that's here. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. And the first thing here is we're going to look at that when Jesus got water baptized. This first part of Luke talks about the theme of that Jesus' identity was confirmed. Everyone say confirmed. And if you can hear the kids' church music, just allow, imagine that that's beautiful music in the background with my word. Okay? All right? Just allow that anointing to sift in here and help you to receive the word more. Don't let it distract you. Let it, let it combine with the word. Amen? Beautiful sound of kids worshiping Jesus. All right. Jesus' identity, Jesus's, Jesus's identity was confirmed. When he was water baptized, he got his identity confirmed. That's why being water baptized is so important. But let's begin at his water baptism back in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. It says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. Verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. There was a confirmation that came upon the identity of Jesus right there. 
And so focus with me for a moment upon what the father actually said at that moment. He said, you are my son. And what is the father doing? He's confirming identity. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus is unique in that he is the only human being that was divine. You know, we in our own nature are not divine, but with Christ, we become divine because of Christ inside of us. But he himself was divine. He was human, but he was also God. And so it's important to understand that the Father actually confirmed the identity of Christ in that moment. And for our own good, for our own emotional health and spiritual well-being, we need time in our Father's lap, in our Father's presence, in our Father's uh, pursuit for us. We need time with God, hearing from Him, hearing His Word, hearing in His presence, hearing that prophetic voice that we can tap into when we're in the presence of God, hearing His confirmation, hearing His love, hearing His assurance. You, I, it doesn't matter what person on planet Earth, we we need our identity confirmed. So when you feel confused, when you feel alone, when you feel isolated, understand it's natural to feel those things if you haven't recently had your own identity confirmed by the very presence and the word of God. So what I say to Christians is don't get hung up on how bad you feel when you're distant from God. It's just the way it will be because you're designed and created to be with God. What we need to do is the ability to respond, take responsibility is if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling confused, if you're feeling isolated, then that's just a really good, it's a good warning sign to say, hey, you know what? You need to spend some time with the guy who's going to confirm your identity. So Jesus sets that great example. He himself, he was divine. Did he really need to get water baptized? Probably not, but he got water baptized to set an example. He was divine, but he was also a human. He was not setting an example to be divine. He was setting an example because someone who's divine doesn't need to get water baptized. If you're God, God doesn't need to get water baptized. But Jesus, even though he was divine, he was also setting the human example. He was, the, he was God, but also man. He was saying, this is what man needs to do. They, God needs to come in and confirm. And if Christ himself needed that, how much do you need that? Because let's look at the linkage here. Once his identity was confirmed, and let's even understand here that his identity then, once it was confirmed, he moved to this next part where his identity was challenged. Now, his identity is about to be challenged after it's been confirmed. Always had a breakthrough, and then you move on to the next thing and wonder why it gets hard. Hey, you know what? That's called life. So what I always say to people is just be ready for that, okay? So it doesn't take you by surprise, okay? Life is not easy being a Christian, but it is, uh, it's designed, Christianity, life with Christ is designed to, when you do face the battles, then you have a blueprint plan of how to get through it and how to hold on in order to break through. I mean, you'll hear me preach that same thing all the time. Why? Because sometimes I feel people just don't get that, and it's something that they need to get. And so I love repetition because eventually people will get it once you repeat it enough. Okay? Is it called brainwashing? Well, we know our brain's washed because usually our thoughts are yucky. Okay? So the second thing is our identity uh, will be challenged. So now who is it challenged by? Let's have a guess. He is called the accuser. All right? He accuses. Have you ever been accused before? Have you ever had your motives accused? Ever had, you know, who you are? What are you all about? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why aren't you doing that? Why are you saying that? Why aren't you saying that? Why are you here? Ever had that atmosphere come at you before? The accuser. So Jesus' identity was a challenge. The accuser not only challenges Christ's identity in the next part of Luke, here in our text we're going to look at, but he also challenges our own identity in Christ. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 4 now. Verse 1 to 2. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. He's been baptized. The dove's gone upon him saying, you're amazing. The father's going, whoa, you are. You are everything. You are great. And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was then led by the Spirit, not by led by Satan. Listen to this. Led by the Spirit in the, into the desert. 
So God actually guided him by the Holy Spirit from that place of being confirmed and blessed and reassured to a place into the wilderness. Why? For testing. Who knows that if you are going to get some superglue and you're going to stick superglue on something to make it stick really well to something else, you're going to go away for a little bit just so it locks in and it dries, but then what are you going to do? You're going to come back to it and you're going to test it to make sure that it's locked in. Because if it's not locked in, what would you have to go and do? Go and get some more superglue or some stronger superglue and replace it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so when God affirms your identity, he actually wants to wait for it to get locked in. What level of the revelation do you catch? You know the scripture that talks about, oh, you look in the mirror and then you turn around and then you have to look in the mirror again. Who am I, Jesus? Tell me. Oh, that's who I am, yes. Oh, who I am, I, Jesus? Tell me. That's who I am, yes. Oh, who I am, I, Jesus? It's like, sometimes God's like, seriously, did you not? How many times do I have to? But as human beings, we do have to keep being topped up. Okay. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. It's a very profound statement, that part of the Bible. He ate nothing for 40 days, and then he was hungry. (laughs) Now that's powerful revelation. You need to take that one back with you and put it on Facebook from this sermon today. Now, let me tell you where the devil will challenge your identity. He will do it when you are in the desert. He will do it when you feel spiritually dry and emotionally depleted. He will whisper in a Christian's ear, you're not even saved. You don't feel saved, do you? And if, if you were not careful, we find ourselves saying, as a matter of fact, I don't feel saved at all. Even if your salvation is locked in and that doesn't, is an area of doubt for you at all, maybe it's about your strengths, maybe it's about your gifts, maybe it's about your callings, maybe it's about your relationships. Whatever is the weakness, the area of rejection for you, that's where the enemy will attack your thinking. He will tell you there was not enough emotion in it when you made that decision. You were not sorry enough for your sins or you can't remember the day or the hour so it must not be real when you really gave your heart to Jesus. I mean, I'm just giving an example of doubt of salvation. But there's all different types of doubts that the enemy will try and get you to question your identity and your decisions. The enemy has a thousand and one lines to use when questioning your identity. So, in Luke 4.3, what are the first words that come out of the devil's mouth at Jesus' temptation when he's challenging the identity? If you are the Son of God... Well, of course, Jesus is the Son of God. But he says, if you are the Son of God. Well, the Father has just declared that at his water baptism, saying, you are, and I'm so well pleased with you. And then it comes in and questions it in the next season, in the next step, in the wilderness. If, if you thought that Holy Spirit moment, Jesus, while you're being water baptized, was God actually speaking to you. Come on. Let's put it in a different way. If, you know, and I've, I've ministered quite a few times in terms of talking about breakthrough in people's lives, but I can tell you now that this thing here and this thing here, when they're in partnership, people move forward. When they're like eh, double-mindedness, that's when people are halted. It's so pivotal about locking in. We're going to look at some principles in a minute. But let's move on to the identity was challenged. Now, when it comes to uh, Satan's temptations, I want to hone in on this. Where does your identity get challenged? Everyone say the word hunger. hunger. See, your identity, you have a hunger to have your identity confirmed. You have, your, you have a hunger to have your identity accepted, you have a hunger to belong, you have a hunger to be loved, you have a hunger to be adored, you have a hunger to feel like you're connected in, you have a hunger to have to be needed, to have a place, to be positioned in a place where you can flourish. They are normal hungers that God has actually birthed within you in how he created you. They, they shouldn't be ignored. They are normal hungers. But what happens is when our identity is challenged, and the enemy tries to tempt us, he zones in on our hunger. And what he tries to do is he tries to say, 
So if God's really going to fulfill that hunger, don't you think it would have happened by now? Usually the enemy will question God's timing, question God's, is he actually going to come through? Has he forgotten you? So that we will be tempted, maybe we should go and grab something else that will fulfill that hunger because I don't really know if I can just keep waiting for God. And so when you think about the hunger, at this point, I usually focus in on the issue of fulfilling a legitimate hunger. See, your hunger is legitimate. God's given it to you. And he and he alone can only fill that hunger for your identity, that, that sense of inner core love, that sense of uh, being whole. It's a legitimate hunger, but you can't fill it or you shouldn't fill it with an illegitimate solution. Because in, what happens is that ends up being sin. When we actually choose something over God, we say, you know what, God, I'm going to park you for a second. I actually think this is going to fulfill me, whether it's quicker, better, whatever it is, that's where we sin. And so the issue of fulfilling a legitimate hunger in an illegitimate way, which is the characteristics of many of Satan's temptations. Adultery is a perfect example of that. Fulfilling legitimate desire with an illegitimate source. Because in that moment, that person, that man of God, or that woman of God, who knows they are a man of God or a woman of God, decides to actually choose an illegitimate source to fulfill their hunger, and they, it, which actually goes against their identity, and they actually are confused and they make that decision. Is that justifiable? No, not at all. They should know better. But it's, if they, in that moment, were so clear on their identity as being a husband or a man of God or being a, a, a wife and a woman of God, I can tell you that that would have stopped them from making that silly choice. Adultery, pornography, these things are illegitimate ways to fulfill a natural and a legitimate desire. And this is where the enemy gets in. He actually tries to make you feel ashamed for your desire. Boom, that's bad. That right there is slavery in your mind. Because you have these desires, then you feel ashamed. That's wrong. You should actually have those desires. How do you... But your identity in God says that with Christ in you, you have victory. And so where your, your sexual desire is like a horse, you don't just let it run wild like a brumby. And can I tell you, for my birthday, Sarah decided to take me to the Dirty Dancing musical at QPAC. All I kind of wanted to say to Sarah, is this my birthday present or yours? Because it was mainly women in the audience. And the guy playing the Patrick Swayze character, I mean, he was cut. He was fit. You know, one of my prayers this week is, God, I want a body like that because... <laughs> right? And he, he did a, two scenes where he had his shirt off and he was dancing. And I swear, I mean, <laughs> some of the ladies in the audience were getting a little bit hot under the collar. Let me just say that. I was like, just sit down. Seriously. Control yourself. <laughs> But anyway, in terms of... So, yeah, it was good. It was okay. Yeah, it was all right. I think it's... Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> if you're female, it was all right. If, you, if you're male, it was a bit... Okay. Okay, so anyway, it's not a wild Brumby. So is, if you have a Brumby, is, is that a bad thing? No. It's like, well, this is a Brumby. It's a great thing, and, and I want to make sure that I look after the Brumby and, and enjoy the Brumby being your sexual desire, but we're called to, in our identity in Christ, we are called to break that brumby in and put a, a saddle upon it and put a bit in its mouth, and we are called to ride it, meaning we are called to take dominion of our desires. So we control it, it doesn't control us. But this is where the enemy will challenge your identity. Not only... Will he challenge you where your hunger for something is strong and, you'll start, and he'll start to question and get you to doubt, will God bring the breakthrough or the source? Is God actually answer for, to fulfill this particular hunger? It could be a sexual desire. It could, and not that God actually fulfills your sexual desire. The person that God calls you to marry is called to do that. Let's not get weird. <laughs> We're definitely not that church. But it's it, <laughs> that kind of church. Weird church. We're a, a normal church. I'm going to start digging myself out of that hole and I'm just going to start digging a brand new hole. 
<laughs> and so we are called to make sure that we're not fulfilling legitimate hungers in illegitimate ways because that's where your identity gets challenged. And the reason why you get, your identity gets challenged is, is designed to get you to, to trip over that trap so you fall in this hole called sin. And then when you fall in the hole called sin, the guy that got you to trip looks down the hole and goes, <laughs> now look where you are. You tripped, didn't you? And guess what? You should be ashamed of yourself because you shouldn't even be having these desires, you dirty person. Well, that's actually completely not right. You're designed to have those desires, but you're just called in Christ to trust him, and he will teach you how to take dominion over those desires. And if for whatever reason, the beautiful thing about the grace of God is if you do happen to, to trip, and the enemy does trip you up, and you get in there, Jesus reaches down and pulls you out and punches the devil in the face <laughs> and says, sit down, shut up, and let me stomp your head into the ground. And then he usually gives you a gentle pat on the bottom. Says, now come on, get going. Get over this way and stop tripping over that silliness. And don't listen to that guy. Because he's a liar. Right? So your identity will be challenged. And it is the destiny of... When you look at, <clears throat> when, you look at when Jesus was actually challenged in the scripture, in verse 5... He was, he was challenged in many ways. He was challenged first, well, so if you are the son of God. But then he was also challenged about the actual calling that he had, about actually ruling the kingdoms. In verse 5, the devil led him up to a place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. In verse 6, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. Verse 7, so if you worship me, Jesus, it will all be yours. See, it is the, the destiny of Christ at that moment that he would rule the kingdoms of the world. That was actually already his destiny. He, even this has to do with his identity, for he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, Adam had forfeited the rulership of the world, and so the enemy or the, uh, the Satan actually had some type of level of authority ruling the world at that time before Christ came. And so this offer to Christ challenging his identity, this offer is a shortcut. Catch this now. Whatever I say, shortcut. This offer is a shortcut to the fulfillment of destiny. The devil says, all you have to do is bow down to me. But the legitimate way is the way of the cross. The legitimate way to fulfill... Now, Jesus was divine, but he was also human. So catch this now. Just because he was God doesn't mean that he didn't actually feel tempted. He was tempted. Because he was God, but also man. And that's why, by what he did for us, he, when you're in that moment of temptation, don't think this, oh, he wouldn't understand. He, he understood, and he still understands. And that's the, the whole design of the Father, was to get this beautiful uh, son called Jesus to understand the human element of that moment where your identity is challenged, and you're thinking, well, I think this is my destiny, but what if I just do this shortcut? He was tempted in that moment. And so here is this shortcut to the fulfillment. Why don't you bow down and worship me? Why don't you park your worship and your loyalty for the Father? Just bow down and worship me and I'll give it all to you. It is Jesus' desire to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he knew he was designed to do it. He knew his calling. He understood his identity, but it was challenged because he had a legitimate desire, but now he's being offered a shortcut, an illegitimate way to go and have that desire fulfilled. It's the trap of the enemy. But the actual legitimate way the father was saying is, I need you to break your body and I need you to shed your blood on the cross. And so in that moment, Christ had to deny that temptation to shortcut, that shortcut option to fulfill that desire that was very real, that he actually wanted to be everything that he was called to be. The third temptation is in verse 9 to 11 in Luke. And the devil led now Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. 
and says, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. Verse 10. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Verse 11. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, think about it. There's an idea right there to get accepted as the Messiah. Just think about it. Was there a, was there a, a part of Jesus that actually had a legitimate desire to be accepted and acknowledged by the people as the Son of God. He was mysterious about it for a good portion, wasn't he? But then when he was just finally challenged, he actually did let people know, in still in a mysterious way, yes, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one that you say that I am, when he was challenged by the people, particularly by the religious leaders. Further on, when he got closer to the cross... But watch this. The enemy is actually saying this. Why don't you actually go right up to that, that high point there? And if you dive off, I mean, the angels from heaven will descend and stop you. And so everyone will see who you really are. Come on now. I want you to tap into this. Has there ever been a time when you've desired for other people to see you, to see what you're called to do, to see the anointing in your life, to see what you could be good at doing? Have you ever wanted to be recognized? Have you ever wanted your potential to be called out by someone else who has a heart for you? Have you ever wanted acknowledgement or acceptance that, you know what, you are amazing at that. Wow, you're fantastic at that. You're so gifted at that. Wow, I can see you doing this. Wow, you should go that further. Let's, I want to encourage you. Has that ever been a desire in your heart? Of course it has been. Now watch this. It's a legitimate desire because that's how we're created. But sometimes we get religious in church and go, oh, don't have selfish ambition. Of course you shouldn't have a selfish ambition, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't have any ambition. Can I tell you that some Christians don't do anything because they take that scripture and think, oh, I can't do anything. I'm just, I've got to be so humble. I couldn't possibly imagine myself doing anything at all. Great. I've just got to sit in the corner and cross myself. Please, where's a bucket? <laughs> right? It's called religious pr- the religious prison. Right? No, you shouldn't have selfish ambition. It'll get tested. Can I tell you? If it's selfish, it'll get, a, it'll get tested. God will sort it out one way or the other. All right? But he wants you to have ambition because he gives you the desires of your heart. If, you, if we, we're up here preaching about have vision. Without vision, people perish. Why would God instruct us that without vision, you will perish? Oh, don't aim to do anything for your life. Just sit there like a little humble pie and just meek and mold and, you know, silliness. And so Christ has a legitimate desire. He wants eventually to people to actually, I mean, do we worship him today? Do you think Jesus is in heaven with the Holy Spirit pouring out us here going, oh, please don't worship me. Please. I'm, I'm humble. I'm Jesus. Please don't worship me. No. He'd be like, hey, yeah, awesome. Come to be people like with the children. Right? Now that he, but leading to the cross, there would have been a desire, a legitimate desire for, for, for the people to actually acknowledge him and worship him, but it wasn't the right timing. That's why it was a little bit mysterious, because that had to get tested. He had an ambition to become Lord of Lords and King of Kings and to save the world. And it, eventually he had a desire to be acknowledged for that. I mean, the praises today with Pastor Jason, Jesus, Jesus, gee, don't you think that blesses him? Don't you think that he likes that? Of course, he wants to be worshipped. He's worthy of worship. He did everything that he needed to do. He should be worshipped. So is there a legitimate desire in Jesus to be worshipped? Yes. He's God. And there was the same legitimate desire before the cross, but it wasn't the right timing. And so the devil tempts him with a shortcut. If you go up to the mountain, Jesus, with the legitimate desire, knowing that you are the Lord of Lords and kings of kings, but you're not yet glorified. You haven't yet quite done the mission and the right timing and plan of the Father that you are loyal to and you honor. But there is a desire within you, Jesus, to be worshipped and uh, to, to be adored and for the people to see that you really are the Messiah. Even though you've been mysterious, Jesus. And Thomas, I don't think you're Jesus. But I'm just <laughs> speaking to you. It helps me to focus in. <laughs> right? This is what the devil would have been thinking. Go up there and throw yourself down. And then everyone in Jerusalem will see the angels save you. And then they'll know, without a doubt, that you are the Messiah. Go on, do it. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted to do it. Sometimes you will be tempted 
to position yourself for acknowledgement before God's time. Sometimes you'll be tempted to do things in your own little way to shortcut it because you just want to be acknowledged. I've had that temptation before. I think it's a very real human temptation. Now watch this. Not only will you have that temptation and do you need to manage it properly by actually not going with an illegitimate way. Come on now. What happens when we go with illegitimate ways? They're called Ishmael's, aren't they? They're called unfruitful decisions. Let's, let's go the legitimate way, the timing of God, being patient with him, knowing that he will work all good things for good for those who love him. And so in this moment, Christ has to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it that way. And even though I may go to the cross, and very few people will actually know that I am the Son of God that's dying on, up there for them. I'm going to follow it and do it the Father's way. Let me just hone in on here a little bit more, just so people are catching this key point. Not only will the enemy try and get you to legit, illegitimately shortcut your pathway to breakthrough and success and the calling of God on your life, because he wants to sabotage it. But also that when you, if you do finally sabotage it and you make that illegitimate choice, then he'll actually again look down and go, ha ha, you're stuffed up and you shouldn't have ambition and you shouldn't be thinking, you know, and have any dreams and desires. And why don't you just sit there and feel disappointed and just stop dreaming and stop wishing that things were breaking through because it ain't going to happen because you stuffed it up and nothing's going to happen for you in the future because you're locked into your past and it's not going to work for you. So just give up, stop thinking, stop believing for breakthrough, stop dreaming, it ain't going to happen. So he sets up the trap for you to go, a ho- go ahead with an illegitimate thing to, to fulfill a desire. And then once you trip, then it actually makes you sh- feeling shamed and guilty for even having the desire in the first place. It's a two-pronged, horrible, evil strategy that the enemy tries to get in to curse your identity. Everyone say, but there's good news. There's good news. The next one is identity confessed. When Jesus returns from the temptation, what does he do? Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he declares his true identity in his hometown. So he does start to actually do it in the pro- as God's prompted him to. Luke 4:14. 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was custom and he stood up to read. Verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so once he denied the temptation to actually be acknowledged in an illegitimate way, to shortcut it, then he was able to follow God's plan and bit by bit God started to, the Father started to release an understanding about the people, about who he was. But it was still in a very strategic way. Sometimes in your life, you'll be tested. Are you willing to still pursue the dream even if you don't get recognized for it? When it all feels like it's not fruitful and it's not working and it's not happening and this doesn't seem to be getting off the ground or this doesn't seem to be breaking through or I can't really do this very well, will you give up? Just because it's not happening quickly enough. That'll be a test. All right, now I want to do is just move over to a transition of, of how we can deal with this strategy of the enemy. How can we be more successful in dealing with it? A couple of things. Well, actually, when I say a couple of things, there's quite a few, but I'm going to transition. I'm going to become like a machine gun. Is that Okay. Is everyone okay for me to become like a machine gun? 
Not with real bullets, I promise. You won't be bleeding after this. <laughs> Everyone say this. I am. The God that you worship, when he was asked, what is, what's your name? When Moses said, who are you? He says, I am. That's right, Serbi. I am that I am. Now, I've preached on this before, but how secure is that? Just listen to it. I am that I am. What I love about it is it actually, mysteriously, reveals the true character and heart of the Father. Why? Because it has this beautiful combination of security, confidence, but humility. Let me say it again. See, the Father, heart of God towards you will make you secure, will make you feel protected, will make you feel like you're loved and adored even if you're not perfect. But it also comes to you in a humble way. It's this, it's this impossible combination for a human being to have so balanced. Only God can have it. I am that I am. Not I am that I, you know you, you, know you need to worship me. Not I am that uh, um, I am. No, I am that I am. I am that I am. I am confident. I'm secure. I'm whole. I'm strong. I'm perfect. I'm the King of Kings. I'm the Lord of Lords. That I am. That I am. And I'm humble. That's what God is. He's strong and secure, but also humble. And so I want everyone just to do this for me. Just say, I am. Again, say it, I am. See, what's this is the world sometimes says this to you. There's two mirrors. There's the mirror that you look at yourself, the, the way you see yourself sometimes. I am, who am I? I am. And then there's another mirror that we look at, which is what the world says that you are. You are this, you are that, you are this, and you're not this, and you're not this, and you should be this, and you shouldn't be that. And, oh my goodness, what are you doing? That's not... All of these different things that we look at to try and bring us a sense of who we are, and yet the one key source that we should always be relying on, he actually starts with his own identity, and he says, I am that I am, and now I'm going to tell you who you are, because I am that I am. And so let's have a look at a couple of kick, uh, identity issues, sometimes in relation to what things happen in the world. Culture says I'm insignificant, one person among six billion Biologists say I'm a bag of chemicals worth about $2. I'm just the product of an evolutionary chance, a monkey's great uncle. The boss maybe says to me that I'm replaceable. The bank calls me the breadwinner one day and a debtor the next. The government says I'm a number 299,750, just another taxpayer. Insurance companies say I'm a medical liability or at risk as a driver. Retailers say I'm a consumer. If I like you, I call you a friend. If I don't like you, then I call you an enemy and vice versa. Maybe your wife sometimes calls you honey, your kids call you dad, your parents call you son. But what does God call you? What does I am that I am say that you are? Our identity is not based in who others say we are. If you look to other people when you ask the question, who am I, you will get the wrong answer. Even if you look at yourself and you say, who am I, you will get the wrong answer. They're two faulted mirrors that have cracks in them. And so, who does God say that you are? Who wants to know? Okay. Everyone just put your seatbelt on. Okay, here we go. I'm going to load up the machine. Are we ready? Now, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to be serious. Are you ready? Okay. You won't be able to write this all down, but here we go. To help you be renewed in your inner being each day... And just as a catalyst today in terms of your identity and being a winner in identity wars, let's have a look at these statements of who you are in Christ and focus on them and know who you are. You are. Number one, I am a child of God. Everyone say it. Well, let's just say it with a little bit more. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Good. All right. John 1.12 Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jason, I'm going to ask you to come. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Number two. I'm not my own. I've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Everyone say, I've been purchased by the blood of Christ. 
1 Corinthians, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19, it costs God plenty to get you out of the dead end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood. You know he died like an embellished, sacrificial lamb. Number three, I am the center of God's love and affection. Zechariah 2.8, for he said, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. The apple of my eye. Number four, I am alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. Number five, I am made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 2, 6. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. Father, right now I pray as I continue to launch out these bullets of your word. I pray, Lord, atmospherically there would be a change and a shift in identity. Lord, I break off curses of people's identity in the name of Christ right now. And I declare, Lord, a new lease of freedom, a new lease of victory right now. Father, I come against people who've doubted even their own salvation. Lord, I speak to the enemy that's had possession rights in people's brains and thought patterns. And right now I speak to that spirit, that lying spirit, that accusing spirit that's been hovering over people's uh, lives and even speaking into their inner ear, even into the heart. In the name of Jesus, I come against that spirit. I come against that atmosphere. I take authority of it right now. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would break it off by the power of your anointing in Jesus' name. And everyone said, number six, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, come on. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to ask everyone to stand, please. Psalm 139, 13 to 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Number seven, I am the purpose creation of the ultimate craftsman. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Number eight, I am an heir with Christ Jesus. Oh, someone get a little bit excited. I'm an heir with Christ Jesus. See, you're a three-part being. You are a mind, you're a voice, and you're a body. And so when you say the Word of God, when you speak the Word of God, if you want it to be something that's supernatural, if you want it to have an effect, if you want it to take root, you've got to say it with your whole being, not just, I need to die. Okay, let's say it again. I'm an heir with Christ Jesus. That's it. Get connected. Romans 8, 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share His glory. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to shorten up here a little bit. I'm going to give some statements. I'm going to give some scriptures. But I just feel the Lord gave me a picture of a machine gun where He's literally just wanting to fire, 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 fire these statements and these scriptures into the heart of people here today. And I hear the Lord saying in this time, as the Word gets released in this atmosphere today, literally that range of bullets that are going to fire into your heart, that literally it's going to push back the whole of the enemy that's been trying to come like a wave in this time, in this season. And I hear the Lord saying that I'm releasing angels strategically in this time to minister to you. And I'm hearing the Lord say, do not give up because I've already started to release new levels of breakthrough, particularly in families and particularly in vision for provision, says the Lord, for families. And the Lord says that I'm releasing a momentum of understanding and a new sense of strategy for the times ahead. And the God says that I'm starting now to unlock those doors that have been prophesied since the beginning of this year. And the Lord says, as you continue to press in and continue to shake the ground underneath you with the Word of God out of your your mouth and in your prayer time God says that I'm going to continue and continue and continue to release this wave of breakthrough and God says allow the machine gun right now to be fired into your heart because it's just sending back and pushing back the strongholds of the enemy so Father right now I declare Lord that any cobwebs that have been lingering in the name of Jesus I thank you Lord they're breaking off right now thank you Lord number nine I am a citizen of heaven Philippians 3.20, but there's far more to life for us. We are citizens of high heaven. Number 10, I am an eternal soul and will live forever. And say, I will live forever. Say it again, I will live forever. A couple more. I want you to stay sitting. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say that. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. Say that. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. Say that. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am Christ's ambassador. 
I am worth more than any plan of the enemy. I am a sheep of his pasture. I am a friend of Jesus. I am not a slave to sin. I am a slave to righteousness. I am free from condemnation. I am a member of heaven. I am chosen by God. I am a member of his royal priesthood. I am holy because of God. I am equipped for every good work. I am a new creation. I am free. I am joined to Christ. And his life flows within me. I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror. I am the bride of Christ. I do have a destiny. Come on, I do have a destiny. I will live forever. If he is for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me will prosper. Now, one last thing, and we're going to do this. Okay? Now, who knows how to move here? Anyone? Get a little bit of groove. Okay, what I want you to do is I just want you to get a little bit of a bop in your feet, just on your toes. Now, if, if, if you're not into dancing, it's okay. You can bop on your toes. All right? Now, I want you to lift one hand while you're bopping. There's a method to my badness. Okay? There's a method to my madness. All right? Just bopping. Right? Now, what I'm doing here is I'm actually getting you to bop a little bit with your hand raised. Because I just want you to know that, you know what? There were warriors back in the Old Testament that used to dance, man. They used to dance before the Lord. Can I just tell you that I know it's not, we don't have flags in church. We're not going to get you to go and do all this weird dancing, okay? But what I just want you to know is sometimes when you declare the Word of God and you get in that zone of worship and your body's moving a little bit, there's something actually supernatural about it. It's about just breaking out of the norm, all right? So I want you to do this. We're just going to hone in on one statement. I am more than a conqueror, okay? I am more than a conqueror. Say it again. I am more than a conqueror. Now get a little bit of attitude in. I am more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. A bit more. I am more than a conqueror. Come more. I am more than a conqueror. Come on. I'm more than a conqueror. One more. Okay, now we're going to end the service, but I'm going to get you to turn the person next to you.